knowledge comes from what? Experience. If your faith does not lead to the way that you view the world, you will not have experiential knowledge. Why? Because you're not letting your faith inform how you live. And then if your faith is not informing how you live, you will never have experiential knowledge of who God is. The only way to see God in the midst of your world is to live in the way that God says, I want you to live. So the only way to have experiential knowledge of God is to say yes and respond to what Jesus asked you to do. Knowing who God is needs to be what influences all that we do. We'll learn in today's message with Pastor Daniel that our understanding of God comes from experiencing Him, allowing Him to be our focus and our purpose as we navigate this world. The more we experience His goodness and power, the closer we'll draw to Him and the easier it will be to place all of our faith in Him. God will deliver time and again when we follow now here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Peter chapter 1 with part 2 of his message, The Truth About Fruitfulness. So I think that we learn here something very, very important is that you have all that you need. In Jesus, you and I have all that you need. Now, notice what I'm saying here, that We have obtained, we've been shared this precious faith. And we have this grace and knowledge because of who Jesus is. And now it says in verse 3, as his divine power, the power of God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, what does all mean? See, this is what I love about the Bible. This isn't complicated stuff, but it's simple, but it's not simplistic. This is some deep stuff. See, it says that in Christ, because of who Jesus is, because of his righteousness and his grace, and that he shared this stuff with us, he has given us by his divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness. So life is what you need in order to succeed and to do well with this life. But then godliness is to live life in a way that God would have you live. And in Christ, you have everything you need. Now, do we believe that? We all say yes, right? But do you really believe that? See, because this is what happened for me. I'm reading this, and I've been studying this for months. I'm getting ready for the series. I'm all excited. And I write down, you have everything you need, right? And then I'm like, okay, do I really believe this? And my next thought is no. Why? Because if I really believe that I have everything I need in Christ, then why do I worry? Why do I freak out? Why do I get myself frazzled? Why do politics make me nuts? And why does this thing get me all aggravated? And why do I get crying my coffee when my favorite sports team loses their game? And why do I get myself all worked up if in Jesus I actually have everything that I need? What do I worry about tomorrow? But again, God is interested in experiential knowledge. And so when I notice myself getting worried about finances or getting worried about this or getting worried about that, this is now the area that God wants to work in my life because here it says that I have everything that I need for life in Christ. That there is in Jesus an inexhaustible well of wisdom on how I ought to live if I am willing to dwell there. Now, it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? You have everything that you need. Everything is there 
for you in Jesus. Now, what's also powerful here, notice all of this is through the knowledge of him, that experiential knowledge, who called us by glory and by virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world through us. See, what this teaches us is this, is that because of our faith in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is entrusting us. We become partakers in the divine nature. This is what God is interested in. God is not interested in translating who you are before you get saved and then just putting some Jesus on top of it. But he's interested in transforming us from who we were before Christ that we might become people who share in, has been bestowed the gift of God's very nature. God wants to transform us. But what's going on today is too many of us are being willing to say, this is who I was before I came to Christ. Now I just put a little Jesus on top, but I'm still exactly the same person. I've just translated my personality. I was outside Christ, I'm inside. That's not what God is doing. God wants to transform our lives. That's what he wants to do. And in Christ, everything that you need. See, God wants to make each one of us like him. And one of the ways we do that is by realizing who we are. And then because we know who we are, we begin to escape the corruption that's in this world through lust. But what goes on is we live in this world and we're constantly being bombarded by the ideas of this world. And if we're not careful, we are just translating who we are. We still live in a world of corruption. We still live in a world of lust, but we never realize that actually we've escaped from there. And we don't have to follow these ways anymore. You have everything that you need in Jesus. Do you believe that? That's what he's promising here. We have everything that we need. Now from there, notice what happens in verse It says this, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is beautiful because really what we learn here is that fruitfulness is key. Fruitfulness is key. What God is interested in is making our lives fruitful. Now, I get that from verse 8. Notice what it says. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. You think of someone who's barren, a woman who's not able to bear children. The idea is the fruit of their womb, it's not blossoming at this time. So what God is interested in is that there be fruitfulness from our lives. But here's the question. Is your life fruitful? Because if you've been around at all, you realize that no matter how long someone has been in Christ, there's lots of Christians who know the Lord and salvation, but lack any fruit. Maybe you've been in the church for 20 years, but you're really not a lot different than you were 20 years ago. You just know a couple more Bible verses. And that's a problem, isn't it? But God wants us to be fruitful. Now, what I think is fascinating here, if you notice this little symphony of grace, all these different ideas, we notice that it moves from faith, and there's a progression from faith to love. And I think that's the key. You want a path for fruitfulness? God wants to move you from the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus to love, self-sacrificial love. 
And love is the only marker of your fruitfulness. I have a friend, an interesting guy, who's been going through, young guy, all sorts of health problems. And I was texting him, like, bro, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. And he said, Daniel, and literally he's a young guy, surgery, cancer. I mean, it's just really rough. And he said, well, what I'm learning is that life is precious and love is the point. That's what I'm learning. Young guy, young family, life is precious and love is the point. And he's absolutely right. Because our Bibles teach us that God wants to move all of us from faith when we say yes to Jesus to self-sacrificial love, that we be like Jesus. And in order to get from faith to love, there's a number of steps that happen. And I want to go through these different steps. And what I believe will happen is that if you're one of those people who are saying, my life really isn't that fruitful, somewhere along this pathway, you're falling off the path. For some of us, it might be, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, that's where it has to start. But God wants to move us from when we put our faith and trust in Jesus until we hit the point of fruitfulness where we love as Jesus loves. Because he's interested in transformation, not just translation. Well, I put my faith in Jesus, but I don't really love Democrats. I don't really love Republicans. I don't really love people who like the Golden State Warriors or wherever. You know what I mean? (laughs) Notice, add to your faith virtue. Now that word virtue is the Greek word arete, which literally means moral excellency. The idea of virtue or goodness, it means to live in such a way that you are actually responding to the faith that you have. See, don't ever miss for one second that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, because Jesus is righteous, when we respond to Jesus, there is a moral way that we ought to live. Everybody has morality. It's just a matter of Where is your morality being generated from? Now, in our day and age, morality is either generated from, I consider myself in America either liberal or Democrat or some shade between that. But if you're a Christian, you derive your morality from the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can throw both sides out the window. You have all that you need in Christ. That doesn't mean you won't fall in certain areas in certain of those camps. But you don't need either one of those sides because you have everything you need in Christ. And because of who Jesus is, we respond by living in such a way that the Bible would call goodness or arete. It's a sense of moral excellence. Are you allowing your faith to transform the way that you look at the world? It needs to. Because the lie is that there's the way that you believe should not influence the way that you live. It's a detachment. So you move from faith to virtue or to goodness. And then you move from virtue... To knowledge. There it is. Our word again. Epigenosco. Say epigenosco, Fusco. That's right. Now listen. Experiential knowledge comes from what? Experience. If your faith does not lead to the way that you view the world, you will not have experiential knowledge. Why? Because you're not letting your faith inform how you live. And then if your faith is not informing how you live, you will never have experiential knowledge of who God is. The only way to see God in the midst of your world is to live in the way that God says, I want you to live. So the only way to have experiential knowledge of God is to say yes and respond to what Jesus asked you to do. You might say, it's impossible to love my enemies. Well, unless you try, you will never experience it. But when you take the step of faith to love your enemies, God's love now fills your love. And before you know it, you're like, wow, I can really love my enemies. But for many of us, we're not having the experience. You can clap if you want to. (laughs) Praise God. 
But you have to allow the faith to change the way that you live it, move it into goodness or virtue. And then you have that move into this experiential knowledge. And then guess where knowledge lands you? In self-control. Now, self-control as it's spoken of in the Bible is not some sort of self-mastery like self-help. Self-control is the response that we have to Jesus because of who he is and because of our now experience of who God is. And we say, I can do that, but I actually don't want to because if I do that, I lose the preciousness of the closeness of the relationship I have with God. So all of a sudden you're like, I don't really want to do that anymore because there's something that I want more. You're replacing something lesser that's unfulfilling for what is truly fulfilling. But if you don't have experiential knowledge, why would you ever exercise self-control? But if you know, if I do this, I lose this, and I don't want to lose this, now all of a sudden, it changes. You need the experiential knowledge so that you'll say, I do want that, and I'm kind of tempted by it, but what I get is not what I want. And that's how self-control happens. It's not some sort of self-determination. It's the response of Jesus in our hearts because we know who he is. And once we move from self-control, self-control leads to perseverance, which is self-control over and over and over and over again, no matter how hard it gets. You see how that works? It's one thing to have a momentary victory. It's another thing to live in a life of victory. But if you, you can never have a lifetime, like just now every journey begins with one step. Victory in an area of temptation begins with one resistance. And then you build upon it. You build upon it. I was just talking to someone recently who's, God's been doing a work and they're in recovery and they're so joyful. And they're like, it was hard the first week. It's still hard, but it's different now because it's one step upon one step. That perseverance happens. And then as perseverance happens, notice, to perseverance, you add godliness, God-likeness. You living in reverence and obligation to God because notice, As you've been taking these steps, now all of a sudden your life begins to take on the quality of God. And to godliness, you land at what? Brotherly kindness. That's the word Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly love. The idea of loving or brotherly kindness or brotherly love is the idea you practically care for somebody else. You see them in their need and you choose to meet their need. See, this is what God did for us in Christ. He saw us in our need and he met us in our need in Christ. Now, it's funny. Remember, I made the joke about Golden State. I realize we're here in the Portland metro area. But I grew up in New Jersey, right? And so when you grow up in New Jersey, your arch rival guess is what? It's Philadelphia. Now, I can tell you the city of Philadelphia doesn't necessarily practice brotherly kindness. I remember, I must have been about seven years old, me and my grandpa and my dad, we'd go see hockey. The New Jersey Devils was the local team, not giving glory to the evil one. And we're talking about a whole other devil, I think. And so they were playing the Philadelphia Flyers, and I was seven years old. My grandpa wasn't seven years old. We almost got arrested at that game. Super cool. My grandpa's like, your mom's going to kill me. I'm like, this is kind of fun, you know? The story for another day. I know you all want to hear the story now. It was really good. It involved a lot. It was... Yeah, anyway, I wasn't always the fine, upstanding citizen I am right now, praise God. You know, God's done a work in me. But the idea is, is that as you become more like God, you begin to care more about other people. But it doesn't land at brotherly kindness, brotherly love. It lands at love. That's the Greek word agape, which means I'm willing to sacrifice of myself for them. It's one thing to give at a distance, another thing when it hurts. 
And see, God wants to move all of us from faith to love. But where are you falling off the trail? Maybe we're not translating our faith into how we live. Because we're not translating how we live, we're not having that experiential knowledge of God. Maybe you're saying yes, and you're having the the experiential knowledge of God, but you're falling off at the self-control. Or maybe you're falling off at the perseverance, where you've gotten some victories, but you keep messing up right there. Wherever it is on the journey, again, God is a great physician. He doesn't just operate on us. He tells us where there's a need, and then he goes to work there. So wherever you're falling off on this journey from faith to love, that's where God wants to work, right here, right now. We always say we're all in process, right? None of us here is perfect or arrived. Jesus is perfect, and we have all sorts of things he's working on in us. So wherever you're falling off this journey from faith to ultimately to you be a self-sacrificial lover just like Jesus is, that's exactly where God wants to work. And praise God for that. He loves you enough to want to work there. Now, Jesus tells us that all this happens when we abide in Christ. Listen to John chapter 15. Picking up in verse two, it says this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then in John 15, verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. See, that's what God is interested in. That's why I've called this message. It's the truth about fruitfulness. God wants you to bear fruit. Now, he says that if something doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. So if there's something in your life that is now hindering your fruitfulness, oftentimes, if you do not say goodbye to it, God will cut it out of your life. Now, I know that can hurt, but God loves you enough to remove things that are hindering the fruitfulness. But notice it also says... And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. So sometimes what God does is he needs to cut away something so that it can be more fruitful. Now, I am not a gardener in any way. I'm the kind of person, someone hands me some bulb, I just stick it in the ground and say, Lord, bless that. You know, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And I praise God that we have a couple of nice bulbs. I'm like, oh, look how nice those are. And it's like, you did a good job. I'm like, I just stuck them in the ground and prayed, you know. But I remember when we moved into where we're living now, You know, we got some privacy trees. And the guy who installed them said, listen, at the end of the summer, I want you to cut a foot off the top of each one of them. I'm like, bro, they're privacy trees. Like, cutting a foot off, that, like, limits the privacy. And he's like, no, 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 just do it, and it will work. And so sure enough, I know how to be obedient when I have no clue what I'm talking about. So I'm like, okay. So sure enough, it cuts. I cut off. And he's like, what'd you do? You cut some of the privacy away. I'm like, I just do what I'm told. And sure enough, the next year, you know what happened? thing just blew out. Why? Because what you learn is that if you want something to grow, sometimes you have to cut away so that it can grow more. And I think for some of you, what's going on in your life right now is that there is fruit, but God's like, in order to really have fruit, I need to cut some stuff away because what I'm really interested in is more fruit. And don't ever miss the fact, the fruit tree never gets to enjoy its own fruit. The fruitfulness is for others. Do you ever see an apple tree being like, these are the best apples I ever ate? I love these apples, man. Mmm. Granny Smith. No, I mean, wouldn't that, that would be weird. Right? I mean, a talking tree is weird enough. Just read the Lord of the Rings. It's very strange, you know. Anyway. But the fruit is for others. Which again, faith to self-sacrificial love. So God is interested in fruitfulness. It's the key. And what God wants to do in our lives, even in the midst of a distracted world, 
is to bear fruit in our lives. But again, there's many of us here, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to believe in him or else you'll never abide in the vine. You are a branch that is detached and you will never bear fruit. But there's also many of us, you believe in Jesus, but you're not abiding in him. There's not fruitfulness in your life right now. Like you just translated your personality, but God wants to transform that you might be a partaker in his divine nature. And fruitfulness comes from that. But there's one more thing I want to show you as I'm closing this message out. Look what it says in verse nine. For he who lacks these things, which is this move from faith to love, which is this idea of fruitfulness. When you lack these things, it says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, you want to be fruitful? Diligence is necessary. See, diligence is what we add to this equation. Everything else is what God adds. This is what we add. Because notice what he says. If you're not bearing fruit, it says. If you are not finding faith moving all the way to love, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. What that means is that you have a blindness. You are not spiritually healthy enough to be able to see straight. Right? And then what he says, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. See, what I love about this is the idea of diligence as it relates to the Bible is not, I need to white knuckle this until I get there. It's, I need to remember who I am in Christ. That God has made me a new creation. That I'm not what I used to be anymore. But what happens is, is that if we're not letting faith move us to love, You know what happens? We begin to live the way we used to live before we've been cleansed. You're relying on the old version of you, not your resurrected version in Christ. But notice what he says. Therefore. What do I always say when I see a therefore? What's it there for? That's right. Or if you're British, wherefore the therefore? (laughs) It's always a concluding sentence. You don't want to be short-sighted. You don't want to be blinded. You don't want to be someone who's forgotten who you are. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call an election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You hear what he says? He says, listen, because of this reality, be diligent. Keep on keeping on making your call an election sure. Now, the word call literally means the way God affects transformation in your life through Christ. An election is God choosing you to be somebody who gets that gift. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel reminded us that sometimes we have to go through seasons of hard times to produce new and better fruit. As our faith grows, we need to be willing to be pruned, just as a gardener prunes a tree. God is working on our lives and wants to cut away the bad in order to grow us. The fruit that comes from this time isn't for us, though. We need to bless others with what we've learned and what we've been given. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. 
Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio as Pastor Daniel talks with us about the legacy we're leaving. When our time on this earth comes to an end, how do we want to be remembered by those we love? Our legacy needs to be one of faith that directs people to their almighty Savior. How do we accomplish this? Be sure to tune in to our next edition to gain some valuable insight on how to build a faith legacy right now. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Truth and Lies. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.